Welcome to No Compromises, a peek into the mind of two old web devs who have seen some things. This is Joel. And this is Aaron. Today we wanted to talk about something. We've sort of hinted at it or discussed it in like a few different contexts, but never like explicitly. And that is how we like to use cedars in our Laravel application. Like what purpose do they serve? Because it, people use them for different things, but we, we sort of have a way of approaching it. And um, thought it'd be nice to kind of lay out here what our approach is and why. Yeah, you mean like database cedars, not those things that stop moths in your closet, cedar strips or whatever. Oh boy, we're already starting with the tree puns. Okay, uh, <laughs> yes. Database cedars, the, the thing that lets you generate data by running a command. Yeah, so I think uh, there's there's a couple different um, things we want to clear up first before we get in there. Mm -hmm. So cedars are like like Joel said, running a command to generate data. That doesn't mean that there isn't other commands that can do that sort of stuff too. It's just this this sure. is a sort of like a set aside sort of you know if you're looking in the database slash cedars folder, you're going to find commands that are written or that are ran by the cedar command structure of Laravel mm -hmm. that will generate data, and right. they they may use just direct SQL, they may use eloquent models, they may use eloquent factories, mm -hmm. they can use any number of things. Um, that's not necessarily the aim of what we want to talk about today. Right, right. We want to talk more about like why, you, what they're for and why you might use them. Yeah, and so let me just kind of start with a concrete example, right? Because I think this is pretty universal for Laravel applications. You have a user's table, right? And you, mm -hmm. you log in as a user. So would we put users like you need a user to, to use the application would we put those in a cedar Aaron? what would you do well do you need a user to use the application first of all is, is the question mm -hmm. um in this case i'm gonna say let's just say we're talking about like a one super admin user that gets created when the mm -hmm. application first goes out or right. to a new environment or something like that um i would still and this might be controversial but i would still put that in my migration okay and the reason we do that is because we kind of talk about um, migrations are setting up uh, the structure of your database, mm -hmm. as well as, in my opinion, anything that's absolutely a thousand percent required for your application to succeed. And we, we might have mentioned right. this before, like, for example, zip codes, um, having all the zip codes in your database makes it work, the application will work, but it doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily, it's not required for the, the system to to run and we're just talking about the very basics of running right right so um if you don't have a zip code table well your code that tries to query the zip code is going to fail okay so that's why the the table creation goes into migration yeah but if you don't have any zip codes whatsoever the workflow of your product might fail like the user can't get any further along because you can't find their mm -hmm. zip code but it doesn't mean that the application is doing an error 500 it should be coded in such a way that says right. i can't find a zip code Yes. This isn't valid. No, that's not really accurate because there are no zip codes. But there's a slight <laughs> difference there between the, the application can work, but just not as expected versus right. the application fails with an AR500. Right. And I, I think that is an important distinction because that that's that that distinction made it click in my head. Right. So same thing with a user. Right. If you if there's no users in the table, nobody can log in, but it's not going to throw an error. It's not going to throw that that 500 uh, server exception mm -hmm. error. So. I, and I, I'll admit, like our thinking on this has matured. I, I was looking at a project that it's not super old, maybe 
four years old. And because I was analyzing, like, how have we used seeders in our applications? I was doing some research on something. And this one, we did actually seed, I think, a couple of users, um, maybe maybe one for us and one for the client. And none of our newer projects do that. But so, like, we, we've done this approach in the past. Um, it served a purpose, but we just have a different approach now and, and kind of settled on this as something we prefer to do. I think it's also important to maybe maybe shift gears a little bit or take a step back. It is to like define what is the actual purpose of a seeder? Because you mentioned one that I think most people wouldn't necessarily think about, which is like running it in production to set up a new production environment. Um, th- that is one way that you would use it. Others I think of maybe more commonly is like, well, I, I'm, I'm a developer using the app locally. I just want to have like a thing I can click around and have some realistic looking data without having to pull down a production copy of data or something like that. So that that's another use case. Yeah, no one no one does that anyway, right? They don't pull down <laughs> production databases and put them in their local oh, stuff. Of course not. Never. That would never happen. <laughs> and then and then the third one I think is like for testing, right? So some people like to have certain things ready to go to make writing tests easier or less verbose or whatever. So maybe we should kind of clarify when we're talking about how we use them. Like how do we use them in those different formats? Yeah, I I think that's a good point. So really what you're kind of saying is like the there's a tool set called the Cedar, you know, the Cedar ecosystem almost. And then we can use those for individual things. Yep. Now it's important to understand like one of the core little features that's helpful in Laravel is if you're like doing like a migration fresh, for example, or whatever, and you can go dash dash seed mm-hmm. or you can go DB colon seed. It um if you don't specify what cedar you're aiming for specifically. It'll just run the main seeder and in there you could call different seeders. And so one of the things that we'll do is, first of all, we'll we'll hardly ever put any code or any um, uh, data inside of the main seeder. We'll we'll do that inside of there. We'll check for the triggers that indicate what we're using our seeders for. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if we're running, we might have a check to see if it's the local environment. Right. If that's the case, we might then have it call a dev data seeder. If it's in test, you know, the testing environment, we might, if, if we're going to do that, I normally don't ever use right. seeders in testing, right, right. but if, if you have a really, really, really tough situation, and we're not talking about like making like two or three models, use mm-hmm. a factory, then just do yeah. it. Yeah. But if we're talking like your application for some reason needs 500, whatever mm-hmm. to function in even test, then you might use that. But that way, that the first the first thing you remember about that then is if you run seed, we're making sure that we only run the proper seeders for the proper situation. So like even yeah. in production, if we ran it, none of the conditions are true. So no seeding will happen yes. so that we, we don't overwrite any of the data that's already there if we were to happen to accidentally run it in production again. Right. That would not be good. Um, but but yeah, so like relying on on those flags or, you know, even like what environment is this application running in? allows that that top level, I think it's just called database seeder, mm-hmm. to decide which seeders are appropriate to run. Because you generally have one seeder per table. It sort of follows the the same flow as the factories, right? It's kind of a one-to-one relationship. doesn't have to be, but that, that, that seems to be a convention we follow and that we see used in most Laravel projects. Yeah. So I think when I take on a project, then my first sort of goal is I want to make sure I can use the project locally for development. And in order to do that, it's kind of like what you mentioned, which is the, the data that you want so you can click something around. Mm-hmm. So I'll make that dev data see there first because 
for a number of different reasons. One, um, sometimes uh, sometimes the database structure you have is non-existent, or you have to run the migrations a couple of times over and over, or you know. Um, and it's nice to be able to put that data in afterwards. I mean, one one of the things that I'll do, um, we, we kind of talked about in a, a different podcast, like migration up and down, right? Yeah. But in in other cases, you know, if you have your local stuff there and you're seeding in your data and all that kind of stuff anyway, and you want to start over from fresh, let's just say you've clicked around and done a bunch of stuff. You could do migrate fresh colon colon C or migrate fresh dash dash seed, blow away all your data, rebuild the database and seed in all your data structure to begin with again. So yeah. you're all at the position that you recognize and you can start again. So sometimes you want to keep your development data. Sometimes you want to blow it away. Mm-hmm. And so having that that data structured in that development um, seed area is usually the first place I go because I really don't want to be downloading that production data. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's. For sure. There's there's all sorts of concerns, uh, data privacy, security, things like that, that we're not going to get into today. But yeah, that, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is uh, that is important to consider. So like if I had to, to kind of summarize our approach, you know, you, you can tell me if you disagree, but like the cedars meant for production, extremely minimal. And in fact, I will say almost always nothing like no cedars mm-hmm. intended to run in production. Cedars used for testing. Same thing almost never use them. We prefer to have the tests explicitly set up the data they need. But then that dev data seeder, like the, the, just to facilitate me clicking around the app, seeing a UI with a reasonable amount of data, that's where we focus the, the bulk of our seeding logic and most of the records get generated. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think I want to explain one more real quick, the testing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two different forms of testing that seeders probably are important for. The first is, you know, unit or feature testing. So we talk about creating database information to run yep. our tests against. And we're really a, a fan of just creating that on the, you know, in each test, keeping your mm-hmm. database empty and just, you know, laser focusing on the things that you need. But the other one is is load testing. Oh, so yeah. um, a lot of times what people don't understand is what is what is my what is my application going to function like with uh hundred thousand or a million records versus the 10 or 20, maybe even a thousand that are in there in production right right now. You can, you can release software and then, you know, as it starts to grow, be like, why is everything slowing down? Mm -hmm. Well, there's a way to find out if that's going to happen and that's load testing. And that that's a whole different topic. But one of the things in there is you need to be able to set up um, database structures, maybe in the future or database amounts that are in the future. So let's just say, business says we're going to grow by 10 percent yeah you know that that's not always accurate but let's just bump it up to 30 percent um and and so in one year from now we increase our load by let's just say even 50 percent so we have you know a thousand users in there right now let's let's even bump it up to ten thousand let's 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 get some good you know some good growth here and you can use cedars then to generate all the data and structures and everything you need for an application that is really in use and then you can run your your um load testing against that. Yeah, right. And, and you, those load testing seeders, let's say you're generating a million rows, like you clearly don't want that in your dev data seeder because it's going to no. take time to run. So yeah, that right. you can have a separate one entirely that's just special case for this one particular use, but it, it's it's a lot nicer than like, because I mean, how else would you do it? Right? You might go into MySQL and generate a bunch of stuff, but like, why not right. leverage everything that Laravel gives you in factories and like relationships and all that, and, and just build out a load testing seeder. That, that's, that's a good use case. I'm glad you brought that up. Now, I'm not sure if this is like this 
at all locations for places like McDonald's. Yeah. Um, you know, in smaller cities, probably not, or whatever. In larger ones where I live, definitely everyone has this setup. Okay. And that setup is the two lanes into one drive through oh. system. It's just inviting oh. chaos. Yeah, I don't I don't oh, like it. I oh man. <laughs> there's no there's nothing worse than I mean there are. There's a lot of things worse. There's nothing worse than the terror of being in one of those two lanes placing mm-hmm. your order, seeing the other person's place their order, and then you both are supposed to go merge into one. Yeah. And there's like a car in front. And so you both kind of go forward and then you're like, which one of us is closer? <laughs> and who's oh, gonna man. win? And then yeah. the, the other person won't stop creeping forward in, in like Here's the thing. If someone is in front of you, let them go. Don't keep creeping. Because, like, in my head, all I'm thinking is every time I move forward, you creep forward, you're just going to hit me pretty soon. Well, what are you doing? Let me throw an alternate perspective, because sometimes I'm the creeper, right? I don't know if that that, that came across wrong. But, Uh, um, (laughs) yeah, I believe that. um, No, like, if, if it's busy, there's also somebody behind you that if they could just pull up, like, one more foot, they could start placing their order, right? And so... Sometimes the creeping isn't to edge in and like take take the next spot, but to like to let the person behind me make their order. Have you oh, thought about that? No, I, I have, and, and you're wrong. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's not going to make any difference. No, it's not. It might even make it worse because you're just bunching up further now. Yeah, I I, um, I think that. Um, well, I mean, so you for those who haven't ever experienced this. Yeah. We should probably explain this real quick. Um, there is two different kiosks. So when you go up mm-hmm. to um, uh, the drive through lane, you can split left or right, and you can order at both of them. And usually it's the same person, just like shifting back and forth between yeah. which one. Right. Um, and then they take your order, and then you're supposed to merge. And then they, I think they track, like, what color car and, like, black SUV or white car or something like or that. Or they ask your name so that, sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, at the fancy places where Joel goes. But I'm talking about <laughs> McDonald's. The Mater D is um, out there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so when you go through, but there's just like this, like, I, I don't want to let them get ahead of me, even though, like, it doesn't really matter. But no, I, I, I'm not that competitive. But when we get in that, that line. Oh, yeah. Ooh, don't you dare try to go in front of me if I ordered first. Or yeah. when you're even pulling up and there's like two inside and one on the other side. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I should probably go to the one on the one side. But you never know because maybe that one just got through until right. the other one is just uh, finishing. And uh. there's all these calculations that happen. Yes. <laughs> Load testing is awesome. But before you get to that, maybe you should just take a quick look through your application and make sure it's ready. That's something we can help with. If you'd like to learn more, head over to nocompromises.io and see how we can work together.